Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't, the conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and joining me today, we have Dorian Johnson, who is a motivational speaker, digital marketing and content creator, award-winning author and influencer, and he is the co-author of the award-winning memoir titled The View from Above, One Father's Memoir of Grief Guided to Grace, which is the story of the search for his oldest son, Bayland, who passed away in a hiking accident back in 2017, along with the memorial hike he took with friends a year to the day of Balin's passing. He recently also published his second book titled A Day in the Life of Grief, The Ten Most Common Misconceptions of Grief. And he's currently working on a new book titled The Truth About Loss, which is about the secondary losses we feel from our experiences. Along with sharing his story of grief and loss, he is sharing a simple message of hope and healing. This message is about learning what the different virtues we all have inside ourselves and then knowing that these virtues are what makes us who we truly are. He is a board member of the Global Grief Network over marketing for the organization and has had the opportunity of sitting on several podcast panels discussing aspects of grief. He's about to launch his own podcast called Unsung Heroes, along with putting together a podcast called The Chrysalis Effect, and we'll be looking for people to share their stories of how they became who they are because of their experiences. Being an Idaho native, he loves the outdoors, especially hunting and fishing. He graduated from Utah State University and is a true Aggie at heart. Along with his son who passed away, he has three other children, two daughters and one son, as well as three grandchildren. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I, I appreciate you uh, inviting me to share my story. You know, the, it's it's a long journey and it hasn't even been seven years for me yet. And so I appreciate you allowing me to share this. Anyone sharing these types of stories is doing important work in this world that avoids these types of conversations yeah. uh, because they are difficult. And for people who haven't been through it yet, uh, they eventually will experience some sort of loss. Uh, it is uncomfortable until you learn how to have these conversations and yeah. learn how to get through them. Uh, so thank you for being someone who does talk about the difficult things uh, to help others learn how to talk about the difficult things. Oh, you're very welcome. And I think, you know, to that point, I don't know how or why I can be vulnerable and, and just share the story. I think it's just, it's all part of it in the fact of it's part of my healing process, knowing that it's not necessarily the more that I share, the more that I heal, but it's, it's almost as if, in my story, as I tell it, other people I've noticed, especially men, will look at me and share their the their whole thought process of I cannot tell my story like you do. I can't share my feelings and my emotions and all of that stuff. I can't be that vulnerable, and yet I can work through my situation, my story, my trauma, all of that by listening to your story. 
And so I'm honored that that is the way it is because a lot of times, too many times, there are people who are, you know, this man, we're not supposed to cry. We're not supposed to show emotion. We're, it's, it's weakness. And yet the beautiful part of it is that we get to share and, and make connections with people we never would have ordinarily. There shouldn't be anything beautiful about the loss of a child, but there is um, the collateral beauty based on the, um, the movie title that there's so many things in this world like you and I would never have the opportunity to talk, you know? So I'm always grateful for those things that lead me to realizing what it is that that experience was supposed to to offer me, you know? Yeah, you know, some of the most important people in my life I've met through loss uh, and men military, certain populations who are conditioned athletes uh, into not expressing, if you're listening, suffer more, suffer longer. Uh, yeah. There is healing in sharing. You know, someone yeah. just last night in, in a group that I was having said, I've been keeping this in for so long. You know, I've been embarrassed. I've been ashamed. And yeah. just being yeah. with other people who get it mm -hmm. is a, a feeling that is necessary. Yeah. You know, are there still people out there in the world who don't get it? Of course. There always will be. And I think that, you know, to your very point, you know, I, I came across the saying, you know, I sat with my anger long enough until she told me her real name is grief. Oh, but I think that the reason I, I love that so much is because if we even look at the, you know, one word out of there and take it out and say, I sat with my addiction long enough. I sat with my, um, my anger, my, you know, um, suicidal thoughts. I, I sat with my anxiety, my depression. I sat with my um, unhappiness. I, I sat with so many things until I realized it was unresolved grief. And we say, from what? That's a great question in itself, because most of the time we don't consider certain things that we need to grieve over, you know, and there are certain losses that we look at that um, as we as we look at it, we say, yeah, but that shouldn't come from that experience. Well, one of the secondary losses that goes along with different things is, you know, loss of of self or loss of reality. That's a major one that I have had to deal with is the loss of reality of losing a child and, and recalling parts of the, the search for him and saying, just remember standing there saying, this cannot be happening. This isn't real. This is not, this is not happening. And so if we don't acknowledge that and ask the question, well, why does that part hurt? That's to me, that's the key to understanding and unlocking so many things because I've you know noticed that we all have this lid on us that, that holds all the pressure in. And if somebody can look at you and say, okay, yeah, I understand the experience. What, what do you feel like you've lost? 
you know, and talk about, I've got, you know, we'll have them right in front of me, but, you know, loss of meaning or reality or a dream or the ability to make a decision or set a boundary. And, and it's a question that not very many people ask someone else is because they're like, oh man, yeah, that's, that's gotta, that's gotta suck. That's gotta be horrible. But if we look at them and say, well, why does that hurt? Why does that bother you so bad? And stand back because they're going to verbally swing. But you undo, you, you loosen up that lid, that pressure valve, and allow it to come out. And they're going to scream and yell and cry and, and, you know, swing at the air and all of that stuff. And they're going to look at you and say, oh, you know how long it's been. I've, all of that stuff has been in there. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what it was all about. You know, that's a beautiful part of of being able to talk and have these conversations because somebody who goes through certain things shouldn't be able to feel that way. They shouldn't be able to feel happiness as we see it because of what, you know, how can you be, how can you have gone through something like that? Have something taken away so precious and yet you're like, how are they happy? You know, I think that those are the, the conversations, those are the questions that need to be asked. And it's it's people being afraid to ask them. It's, yeah. you know, childlike curiosity. If we could all mm -hmm. just have that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I just crossed six years. You said you're around seven, approaching yeah. seven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I decided to do an episode of this podcast on the sixth year. Um, just because people need to know that just because you look okay many days and they oh, yes. see you out there because we have no choice, we still aren't okay all of the other times that the struggles they don't see, the invisible, you're talking about secondary oh, losses, yes, you know, yes. the invisible and the secondary things, we're surrounded, we're swarmed at the time of loss, at the initial yes. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the worst part, you know, you watch somebody, you're like, oh, the worst part is watching from the outside. And I love the word that you said, the invisible. I love the word intangible. All of those things that are around us that we can't see, but it looks like we're okay, that we're connected, right? That we're all put together. The thing I look at is if somebody is going through a loss and you know it and, and everybody is gathered around and as soon as you give it a week after that funeral and everybody stops coming around, stops calling, stops texting, you watch that, you know, them go nosedive and you're just waiting for it, waiting for it. You're just like, oh no, oh no, I remember that. Wham. And that is the darkest moment. That is the time where you don't know even what it feels like to, to have the energy and the strength to take another step. You know, I think, um, one of my favorite things to do is to ask, I, I say favorite, it sounds crazy, but since my son passed, my intuition has like gone off the charts when it comes to, you know, walking, you know, down the sidewalk and, and, you know, all of a sudden somebody is like right there and my gut just says, ask them if they're doing okay. Stop, have a conversation. Um, even if it's like, you know, 
going into the grocery store and, and I know I have to hurry and go in and all of that. But then all of a sudden it's like, look to the right. Ooh, the little lady is struggling, trying to get to her car with the cart, all of that stuff, go over there and help her, different things like that. But to ask, I don't like the question, how are you? Because I will lie through my teeth if anybody asks me that. Oh, I'm great. You know, things are wonderful. And there goes the, the um, protecting ourselves from all the invisible, the intangible, all of that. I love to ask the question, are you doing okay? Because what that does for me is if somebody looks at me and says, are you doing okay? I'll tell them absolutely if I am. But it also gives me the permission to say, oh, hell no, I'm not. And I've learned that by asking that question and standing there, not moving, that lets them know that there's nothing more important than what their answer is right there in that moment, right? The reason is, is because if we say, no, I'm not okay, and the person looks at their watch, oh gosh, it's the same thing as how are you? I want them to know that no matter what, the world is gonna stop. Theirs and mine right here, right now. And whatever it is, they're gonna get what they need because it's not coming from me, it's coming through me. That compassion, that kindness, that, that understanding and acceptance of things I understand that I don't understand, you know? But it's not about me. It's the fact of looking at them and saying, I am so sorry. I understand and have felt the same feelings and emotions, even though it's not the same trial or experience. You know, that's the beautiful part to, to be able to look at them in the eye and say, I see you. I see the hurt. I see all of that. I'm not going anywhere. You know, and and. and we're connected. The hurt community is instantly connected. Yeah. I love the, um, how are you doing? Or are you doing okay? To anyone yes. listening who hasn't been there rephrasing the question, but yeah. I also work with people on, because I, unlike you, uh, I'm not going to lie through my teeth. Like if I'm yeah. not okay, I'm going to tell you. And I think it's so important we know that some people don't want to hear it and some people yeah. aren't going to respond compassionately. Right. But others do, yeah. uh, you know, and so knowing who and where to turn to and, and knowing that for me, it is healthier to tell you the truth than to yeah. lie through my teeth, you know, finding that part of the healing journey. And, and basically I just don't care that, it, that the world is uncomfortable with my answer quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah, Our healing yeah. is more important than their comfort. And you know what? That's a, that's a valuable lesson. I mean, I, that's, I'm thinking through your answer and just saying, why would I? Why would I lie through my teeth? Why would I? And maybe part of it is I know how heavy it is. And some people who are very superficial, and they're, how are you? I haven't could seen you in a while, blah, blah, blah. There's no way. I mean, it's like, you know, throwing a, a two-ton rock on them. And they're like, whoa. Yeah, that's one thing. That's one thing I'm dealing with. But to look at this and say, I've got a lot to learn about receiving the compassion, receiving the kindness, receiving, because I'm at the point, and I have been at the point for a while that, you know, I do a lot of these things for other people. Sometimes it's hard for me to receive it from 
somebody because it's just like just if you're hurt just don't touch me just let me hurt for just a minute just let me just lay there and just and it's the same thing because sometimes there's nothing that that helps more than somebody who doesn't say a word and just sits down until i say thank you i'm so good i'm good how did you know that's what i need you know I say that all the time. We, when, when people, people want to help, people want to fix, they want to make yeah, it. Better, yeah. Yeah. Right, right and now. I say, right now. Right, right. We don't, we don't expect you to have a magic answer. There isn't one. You cannot no. make it better, but we right. need you just be with right. us. Right. Right. See, and, and to that point also, you know, I, in, in the second book I wrote, you know, in the life of Greek, it's tired. There's so many myths that go along with this. And, and so I, you know, it was suggested, I call them myth understandings. I have a hard time saying that, but it's, you know, to the point that talking about it doesn't help. Okay. I get that fact. There are certain things that I, I choose not to talk about, but there are other things that by talking about them, what's ironic is all of the things that I have received, put down, put together that I can share, the marbles are always rolling around in my head. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm so used to hearing that and stuff. Then I say something that's out of the blue that I say, where'd that one come from? Oh, that one was for me, you know? So sometimes by talking about it, it's not that you're talking and, and sharing and saying, please help me. Maybe it's more that you're verbalizing the, the thoughts and beliefs that we have in our mind that may or may not be true. You know? It's absolutely, for me, um, I talk about gym every day. I will never stop. Yeah. And I, that's beautiful. People, Some people don't know what to, to how to respond to that because they're just like, they're waiting for him to come around the corner and they think you're crazy. What a beautiful memory of... And being able to share. And if they cry, if you cry, great. If they share something with you and you cry, that's even more beautiful because guess what? You get to share in that memory and that's a deeper connection. Right. I'm not in fetal position, hyperventilating, I, I, crying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I still cry every day. I might tear yeah. up, yeah. but I can, but I will absolutely not, not talk about him for your comfort. Yeah, I, I will not. And and if that amen. is what you need, then I like them. Then you're not going to be in my universe, right? Like right. I need right. for my future, for my well being and my life, and to keep him with me and to keep his memory alive and to honor him, to talk about him in any way I choose. And yeah. if that bothers you, bye bye. Yeah, and and if it's helping, if you're expecting me to help you by you talking to me about my grief that's a different conversation that's a way different conversation read read here here's a book come back and and you know here's this here's this. not today you know so i i get that i get that so um i think let me let me share a little bit if you're okay about yeah we haven't heard anything my, about brayland okay yes okay so my oldest son, um, he's one of those that if anybody talks about him, 
I'm absolutely honored because of the things that I've heard that I didn't hear while he was alive, right? Um, so many parents have, have come up to me and said, I've wanted to share this with you, but I didn't know, you know, time frame or whatever, what they what he did for my son or my daughter that he you know talked him out of killing himself or um if there was a party and when i say a party it's not uh, you know everybody go crazy stuff it it's always that you know get together they would have a bonfire they would have you know my um parents they live um on a, the edge of a reservoir and so he would invite a whole bunch of people out they'd swim they'd do this they you know get crazy have fun play basketball at the little outside basketball court then they would have a fire and and it's interesting because some of the parents after would say, you know, the only reason that um, my son or my daughter was out there because I knew that it was Balin's party or that he would be there. There was even a, a um, probation officer that Balin snuck one of his friends out after curfew because let's go have fun, right? But when the probation officer came over and talked to um, Maiden's friend's dad, he said, my fault, did I know? When Baden came over and, and um, you know, said, let's go in that, the probation officer stopped him and said, okay, nothing more needs to be said. If he was with Baden, he wasn't gonna get into trouble. I'm not worried about anything that they did. And my other friend, who was the, the other probation officer who I've known for years, and he knew Bailey real well, I said something to him about it. And he's like, yeah, you have no idea the reputation your son had for stuff like that. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I love that. So um, my experience is this. Um, Bailey went hiking. Okay, he had hundreds of miles on his boots, meaning that he would, um, we lived in a, an area where it's a small, a small community and lived outside. Uh, we were staying with my um, parents, helping them, they're getting older. And, and so he just said, hey, I'm gonna um, go hiking up at this new place. Okay, talked about where it was and um, there were several different places that he had talked about. So I initially forgot till we went and found out where his car was and that. But he had also um, had just gotten a little pup. Okay. And they were inseparable. So he took her with him and they went up to this. There's a campground and he parked there. And the river, it was just before Memorial Day weekend, um, 2017, and record. Uh, runoff so this river was raging and it's not usually a, a big big river I mean it's like a large stream and so but it was raging the water was like so high um so he took off uh, just after noon it was about one o'clock and went there he there was a little valley where uh this big campground is and there's a trail that takes you up to the top of this mountain. And it was about um, five, about 20 after five, I get this text from him. And it said, this is a beast of a hike. 
but talk about a view. Okay, a little, I'd say a little prophetic, knowing you know what was going to happen. I know he doesn't, he didn't know what was going to happen or anything like that because, um, on the west side of this little valley, is the trail. On the east side, there's no trail, but it's more. He's my son, so I know he was looking for deer and elk sign. Um, he had a shotgun with him because he had a turkey tag. He had his pup. But on that side, it gets really steep. Um, as you get closer to the river, it's, you know, it's really, really steep. And uh, there's nasty willows right next to the river. There's no trail. And he had left his boots in in the the trooper that he had borrowed. Anyway, so I didn't hear anything back. I had texted him and texted him and, and tried to call him and stuff. And it was go right to voicemail. And um, so about midnight, I just had this tug at me saying, um, you need to go find him. You need to go figure out what's going on. Right. And it was almost as if, dad, you need to come get me. And so I went in town, checked with his friends. No one had seen him. It was graduation that night too for the high school and he had a bunch of friends graduating. So I went over to the, the sheriff's office and basically said, hey, uh, if I'm going to go up and look for my son, I don't know if he's hurt or whatever, but I can't get a hold of him. How do I um, correspond with you guys if he's hurt? I don't want to leave him. So an officer went up there with me, kind of figured out where, you know, what was going on. He called in the search and rescue, and at first time it's like, oh, seriously, please, let's just, I'm sure he just, he got his hammock with him, he just sleeping, or we'll go wake him up, whatever, that was my thought process. And so, um, but search and rescue got there, we started looking about two, between two and 2.30, just everybody was getting situated before daylight, and um, had a couple helicopters come in, one of them was Life Flight. And I thought, you know, they might've found something, you know, some sign. And they said, no, gonna fly across the mountain and look down into the trees. The reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, everybody's milling around. Everybody is, is getting organized and figuring out what to do, where to go, you know, looking for tracks, all of that stuff. I'm standing there and no one is telling me much. So I start asking questions, let, him, let the pilots know I'm the dad and all of that. But no one's standing there. No one is is there. I have no one. Mm -hmm. um, my family's not you know, there. No one's there. And I'm standing there watching this. Um, no mental helicopter. health professional on None. scene with the first None. 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 I mean, I have some friends who are in the search and rescue and they kind of watch me and every now and then they see me go somewhere and they're just like right here you stay right here with me don't you dare be you know but all of a sudden that's the moment I start crying hard and I look up and I'm just watching this helicopter go back and forth and I'm like this can't be real this cannot be real this can't be happening the whole loss of reality is, is kicking in hard and people I've, I know for years and years are, are just acting like it's business as usual i know that's that's the approach that has to be taken so that you know they don't get personally involved in all of that stuff and yet 
to stand there and just recall that. And then, you know, we had a uh, the International Air Guard brought in their um, helicopter with infrared and didn't find anything. So I get, if there's a helicopter, I get triggered really easy. I have to hold on to something and that. But the whole process of standing there wondering and waiting and feeling almost embarrassed that I can't help in the search for my son. Why can't I do it? Why can't I? What, it's not what am I doing wrong? It's It's more like what... Why can't I, you know, why can't I, why can't I be involved in what, why can't I just walk up there and, and find him? Um, so all day Friday, we look and look and look, and I've been up for um, 40 hours or so by the time I finally go back and just go to sleep. In the morning, I wake up and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm waking up to a freaking nightmare and I would much rather be asleep. Anyway, they found him in the river just before noon on Saturday. And where they found him was about two or 300 yards up from where the trailhead is. And the river was so high the day before. And somehow there was... Um, it had, it had gone down just a little bit, like like it had receded like two inches. And somebody, as they go up there, they see these toes, you know, just barely sticking out of the water. And and so what had happened is he had a big backpack on and his, his um, shotgun with a, a sling on it. And we have no idea what happened, but he got lodged between a couple rocks and and didn't make it out and so but the the helplessness and the hopelessness ends the moment that they say we found him in the river and it's not the outcome we want and yet at least i know that the closure and the peace that's there is because of the closure just saying okay it's going to be a, a long road to hoe, and yet here's what here's what you do know. Okay, one of the toughest parts of the whole thing was, like I say, not having any support and that, not having anybody to lean on. But I have a, a dear friend who we've had lots of conversations, and and he's the type that will call me out, say, mm, "That's not true. No, that's not you. Stop. You're talking to me. You're not trying to." perform for everybody else so i reached out to him and said hey this is the situation baden went hiking yesterday hasn't come home we're looking for him this is where we're at and that i'd send that in a text just after i had gone in town to, to clear my head for a minute get something to eat something to drink and everybody said asking oh my gosh do you have any big plans for um, Memorial Day weekend, what, and I'm watching everybody happy, milling around and, and all of this, right? And it's just overwhelming. Go out and see people I haven't seen in a while. Oh my gosh, so good to see you, blah, blah. And I just about lose it. So I leave, send this text to my friend. It's not the text that he wants to send me back. It's not the response. Because at first he says, you know, I. this is what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, I'm on my way. I will be with you. I will, you know, I'm not leaving. I, whatever you need, I'll be there. He said, I had to erase that several times because that's not what I was supposed to say. But imagine getting a text like this. Let go of the outcome. 
and you'll be taken care of. The morning you start looking, okay? The reason I bring that up is I was livid. I threw my phone in, you know, as I'm driving, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. That is, why would you say that? You know, all I wanted to do was go um, up there and find him myself just to prove him wrong. Okay. So that's another, you know, something to carry. I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I, I cannot, I will not um, consider anything else but a happy outcome. On Saturday morning, just before they found him, there was um, some moments where the realization of him going through two long, cold nights without much, he didn't have his jacket either, without much protection, food, anything. The realization came that the outcome, it was, it was going to be a recovery at this point. No idea where it was at. And I had a moment of that outcome, you know, let go of the outcome. I just, I just said out loud, Bayland, please just show us where you are. It's all I want. Just show us where you are. And then I said, I hope you know that I love you with all of my heart. I got ran off the road. What, what happened next? I felt this, this, it was almost like a breeze that just went right through me. And I feel him say, there's no question. And I can't turn around, it came right back through me. I hope you know that I love you with all of my heart. And I said, there's no question. That was, I don't even know, nine something in the morning, and we found it just before noon. And but all of that, just I mean, there's there's nothing that you can describe. There's nothing you can say, especially when you're so grateful for everybody who was a part of that search. And I thanked everybody profusely. And. But to look in some of their, their eyes was, it was like, it, they were so apologetic about not being able to find him and, and the outcome. And yet there was nothing that we could do because it had already happened even before we started looking. Now, I'm curious because I know um, in my experience, sudden unexpected emergency room, you know, from work to the yeah. emergency room, but I wasn't given any resources. You weren't you weren't given any support on the side of the road. Were you given any resources at that point? From that point on, no. And the reason I say no, like that, is no one no one came to me and said. You need to talk to somebody. You need to sit down. You need here's a support group. Here's this. Here's that. 
I did go, I reached out to a counselor who I knew had lost her daughter oh. at 19. But no one, no one said So that's down. what we did on our own. No, I'm, I didn't even get a pamphlet. I'm a psychologist. I knew what to do on my own. It still wasn't enough. Yeah, but nothing, I'm just curious nothing, nothing. because I've learned, um, you know, as I've been doing all of that, you know, it, it can vary. You, you can get a compassionate someone somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, it, you know, it's just, it's just not provided. To, and to that point, I've got a, a really, another really, really good friend who, you know, I shared my story with him and he's on the search and rescue in a different, um, in a different area, different state and that. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I think what, if you're open to it, I think it would be important to talk to some of the first responders, some of the search and rescue, some of the different people like that, even in law enforcement, and let them know from your perspective certain things that would have helped, like um, communication. Because the first thing that happened, and I'm not, I'm not disrespecting at all, because I'm so grateful for what they, what they do. They but the trouble is, is focusing more on the retrieval, the, the, um, the it's rescuing. An entire separate, it is bringing absolutely. in a separate, it is bringing in a mental, you know, it's a, yes, absolutely. Bring in a like, separate fund, put it in the mental health fund, yeah. have one of us yes. on the side of the road with you, not as a liaison. Trained, as a as liaison. A hundred percent. I don't yes. need police training. I don't yeah, have anything exactly. to do with the search. I am there to be with you. Like nothing and, to do with the legal part or the and search. The and the connection, the person who walks up and says, stands next to me while I'm watching yep. this helicopter and that, and says, you know, the amazing part about what we can do and, and what we find in a situation like this is amazing. I don't feel alone. That, that's all they have to say, right? And to say, and, and the communication of when I'm like, why the hell are we bringing in all these people to, you know, it's, it can't be that big of a deal. Even if that liaison looks at me and says, you know, the struggle sometimes is it feels like we're throwing a party here, but it's protocol just in case. Right. And, and, the toughest, the worst question immediately was, so how's his mental state? I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Right? And that's but, to your point. They're doing their job. They need yes. to do their job. They don't need to take five minutes to talk exactly, to you. Exactly. But somebody else could be running the interference. Yes, uh, exactly. Create the budget. Anyone Absolutely. listening, please. Yes, yes. Create the budget. I think that's a, that's a huge point, very valid, because it's not just the communication; it's it's even just being aware of you know watching body language, watching you know the mental and emotional aspect of it. Even if you walk over and 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 you know say, okay, I'm going to go get a sandwich. Do you want something? I, there's donuts there. Here's this. Here's this. And if all of a sudden they watch me look over at the the, the search and rescue trailer when I hear laughing in that, 
it's not that they're laughing at it, it's a fact that they're decompressing they just got back from doing something and that they're still part of it but that person can look at me and say you know the toughest part of being on the search and rescue is not having the answers that we can share with you that's you know what questions do you have what, or even even looking at at me and saying you know what do you do in a normal situation when you have stressed or have anxiety or, or overwhelmed how do you ground yourself and it's different for somebody that, else might exactly. want it's different for the next person but yeah. it's not just in the search and rescue because exactly. there are people in the waiting room right now in an emergency room yes with nurses having a conversation about what to have for lunch yes while someone's having a heart you know somebody's losing their relative their spouse yes so add it to the budget yeah. there yeah. as well yeah to, and so my mom couple of years after passed away from dementia. I mean, we watched that. I mean, that, that's one of those situations where you're like, we know it would be better and yet we don't want it to happen. So when she is in the emergency room, they're trying to figure out what to do, you know, survive or not, whatever. Somebody who I had known for years and years, it was an anesthesiologist and he knew mom. And he walked up to me and he's like, he looked at me dead in the eye. He's like, do you want me to walk you through this? Do you want me to let you know what's going on? I said, yes, please. He said, okay, this is what they've done. This is what they've done. This is what they've done. I will be right back. I'm going to go check and see. Da, 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 da. I get on the phone with um, my daughter. I just said, this is the situation. Da, 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 da. And she starts crying, knowing that my mom isn't going to make it. And John, the anesthesiologist, comes back. And with a look on his face, I just looked at him and said, is she gone? And he's like, yeah, I'm so sorry. But he was there. He, he did exactly what we're talking about. I relayed the message. I got to go. And he's like, I'm sorry. What else can I do? What else What else can I share with you? What else can I, you know, what questions do you have? I don't know. You know, so, you know, when got, you know, dad situated, all that stuff, we're in the waiting room. He comes and sits down. He's an anesthesiologist. He should be doing other things and stuff like that. But the kindness that he showed just by saying, what else? And that's what, what I'm saying. Like, you know, exactly. I, I know individual police officers, individual yes. people here and there, but make a budget so that we can have yes. people there for each and every one of us because I somebody agree. right now is going through this every yeah. minute somewhere. Yeah, and, I agree. And, and we're not given a pain, let alone... Number one, we don't we need compassionate people helping us through it from the moment it's happening, but yeah. we're also not even given a pamphlet to walk out the door with. Yeah. From <laughs> you know, from the even, moment like we need we don't need people find me three, four, six months, a year later and say, I wish I found you then. Exactly. That's yes. not yeah. that's great, yeah. but it's not soon enough. Because how often do we know what questions we have? We don't know. We don't know what to ask. You know, mom just passed away. My son just passed away. I'm I'm in a, a situation where my son just passed away. I'm not on good terms with um, his mom. My other kids are there. They're hovering with her. I've got nothing. And all of a sudden, it's like, what questions do you have? I don't know. Right. <laughs> What's on your mind? I don't know. I don't know. You know? So... 
It's a great place. Yeah. We had a big, um, the funeral home didn't, I'm Jewish. My husband was not. I cremated, we're organ donors. But I got this unique, I have some of his ashes here in my necklace, but I got this unique urn. It's like for a couple, it's a type mm -hmm. that is locked in a way that can't be open until you add my ashes to it um, or it cracks. It's marble, right. Right? right? So yeah, yeah. Ashes are there and ashes are here, right? Oh so, my gosh, yes. Right? Lo and behold, a month or two or three or whenever it was after, his family asked for some ashes. What? That would be that would be in a like that would be common, right? But the funeral okay, all right. home, it would be the funeral homes, like the funeral home. So now I tell all of my clients, anybody going through cremation, is there anyone who you might want to share ashes with? Oh, yeah, as the yeah. has the funeral home asked you that? Like this was a family fiasco that could have been avoided, but I didn't know. Like I, my head right. wasn't there, just like you said. Right. These are questions we're not thinking of that other people need to be doing for us. And yes. if the funeral home isn't doing it and yes. it wasn't done, then we have more problems while we're deeply in grief later on. So yes, exactly. And because it, it's again, it's like having gone through this from the outside looking in, you don't have the emotion. You don't have all of the, the different concerns about even asking the questions that you have no idea about you know it's like ah there's so much to it i love that i love the concept of, of you know being able to say hey what's the budget for this because to tell you the truth i did a little research and what is it 225.8 billion dollars is what it costs the economy for unresolved grief for people who are are not, are not dealing well with life because of grief and they're back to work and or they miss days. But do you really want a mechanic who hasn't worked through things or a doctor, a surgeon or a dentist who hasn't worked through things, working on anything that have value to you? Right. Our brain has changed and yes. we don't perform yes. the same way. And I spend hours talking to employers explaining that. So. Yes. Who do you work with and how do you work with them? How do they find you? Do you only work with men? Do you only no. work with people in person? Um, okay, so after um, putting you know books together and I've, I've put together a program um, basically teaching people how to climb their own mountain, different life lessons, different um, virtues that we feel like we that will help heal, different myths that we have to address, but also the secondary losses that we feel like we are are missing out on. Um, I'm in the process of that. The best place to find me right now is on Facebook. And it's, you know, you can just find me under Dorian Johnson. Um, my son is, I think, anyway, you can find me there, but there, I also have a group called uh, a day in the life of grief, which every now, you know, we just post different things of how we feel during the day. And it could be, you know, people who just started the process of grieving, people who have moved forward through and at, at different points in that. Um, and I also have a, a group called Unsung Heroes. Okay. And that group, we talk about all the good things that are happening in our world 
by people who don't even think twice about doing something good. Okay. I can send you those links. Um, I've got the two books on Amazon. One of them, uh, the first one is um, The View from Above, and it is about the memorial hike we took a day to the year, a year to the day after he passed. And there's a group of 10 of us who took one of his um, lacrosse helmets all the way to the top, put it on the top of the mountain, along with a plaque with his last, um, his last text to me um, with the search, going through the search, different anecdotes about um, what makes my son who he is and things that I learned about him and, you know, different stories and that. Um, I also read that one for the audiobook. It's on Audible as well. That was brutal to read. Yeah. Um, just edit it and stuff. Then my other one, A Day in the Life of Grief, talks about the different myths that go along with grief, the secondary losses, things like that. So um, in the process of, of you know getting web a website all together and all that stuff, but when your mind breaks and you try to find little pieces that you lost and stuff like that, sometimes that's even different conversations sometimes are a little tougher than normal ones, you know? Absolutely. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. If you're driving, don't pull over. Um, find them <laughs> later and, uh, and not That's hurt sweet. yourself. Um, but those groups are a great way to start if you're in a place where you don't know where to start connecting yeah. with people, yeah. uh, finding yeah. the people. Family and friends are great, but I needed people who got it, who were in the grief world. Um, who understood without words. So um, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Anything coming up? Any last words for people listening? Um, If for some reason they have a hard time, you know, finding me or whatever, you and I are our Facebook friends in that. And um, there's not any, there's not any question that I am opposed to. I may not answer or answer right away. And yet, please feel free to ask any question because been there, done it, you know? Anyway, thank you for um, allowing me to be on. Thank you for being so open and real again about something that is so important and affects us all at one point or more in life. Um, Dorian Johnson, everyone, until next time, always be ruthless. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the Ruthless Movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hub community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week.